Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Different activities and going through what we call the Grace Callings, which is based on this uh, verse in Ephesians 4. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so uh, this introduces the idea <clears throat> that these gifts were given uh, by grace. Okay, Each one of us, grace was given. And it was given on the measure of the, of the gift that Christ gave. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, or uh, that is better translated shepherds. Um, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the book of Ephesians is pretty well acknowledged by scholars and theologians as kind of a template for our understanding of what church is meant to be. It is the one book where Paul, and, I, and God uses the writing of Paul to really dig deep into what the purpose of the church is, the structure of the church, and how it is to be, uh, you know, its, its purpose in the community and what it's to produce. And so this is a key part of understanding what God's intention is for church. And it lists these five different callings um, and uh, kind of a contemporary abbreviation for the callings is APEST, which stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and Teacher. And uh, we're going to take, we're taking five weeks to dig in deep to uh, understand this teaching. And we're emphasizing that these all flow from grace. They're all given by Jesus. It says He Himself. So it, it double emphasizes that they come from Jesus. It's like a personal gift that Jesus gives to the church. Uh, and, and so the purpose of these gifts, these callings, is bringing the church to, to maturity. All right. The Holy Spirit gifts is our next series that we're going to talk about beginning in June, where we go through many of the uh, spiritual gifts. Um, and so you'll have to wait for that. Got a little bit of review. <clears throat> Historically, these are known as the fivefold ministries, or even more traditionally known as the ascension gifts, because right in that passage I skipped over, I didn't read it, but it said uh, he gave these upon his ascension. So when Christ rose up after the resurrection, appeared to the disciples, went out to the mountain and gave them the Great Commission, and then he rose up into the air. Remember that story? And the angels were there saying, guys, what are you looking at? He's going to come back just as he rose. You know? So that's the ascension when Jesus bodily rose up from the earth. And when he did that, he transferred these five gifts or callings to the church to be uh, the representation of himself in, the, in his body. So <clears throat> most Christians have never heard of these. Or if they have, they have a limited understanding or possibly even a uh, erroneous understanding. Some identify these as offices, and actually that's the way what I've always used is the, the five offices. But as we were discussing and studying this as a team, it's, 
The idea of an office or a governmental, you know, when you term, use the term office, it's like this position of power or authority. Well, that's not really communicated here in Ephesians or anywhere in Scripture. And so that, they're not really to be seen as governmental uh, authoritative uh, offices, but they're really callings. And so that's how we're going to approach this, that they're, they're, they're people. <laughs> he gave apostles, evangelists. He gave people. And I think that's really important because Jesus came as a person. And so in order for, to reproduce his ministry, he uses people. You know, And I'm a man of the book. All right? I love this. Uh, this, is, this is the revelation. But it's not the book in and of itself isn't God's means. The book equips people to do the work, and so it's really important. Um, and they're expressions of Christ, and so it's the revelation of Christ that flows from grace to empower individuals, people like you and I, to function in a specific way that shape the church. Because the church is to be the body of Christ. Why? Because the body of Christ, his literal body, ascended into heaven. And now we are the body of Christ. And so we need to look like that, his body, and these five callings are specifically meant to shape, to get, get our body into shape <laughs> uh, and uh, to look like Jesus. And they're all needed still. Uh, and so I don't think any of them have ceased. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. Um, not every local congregation will have someone that has each one of these callings. Because, uh, you know, that would be a lot of people. <laughs> They're a little more limited than that. But every local church needs the influence of uh, individuals that walk in this calling. And um, unfortunately, we weren't able to arrange uh, Curtis to be here. But right this morning and last night in our Vine congregation, Curtis of, uh, Hines, who is a recognized evangelist, has been for decades, uh, travels the world, and he's speaking on evangelism. We're going to have him back June 22nd, Saturday. We're going to have an all-day workshop. And I'm telling you, this guy, is he just really communicates what it means to be an evangelist in a, in a way that is a refreshing. It is not condemnation. It really brings freedom. I mean, when I heard him speak last night, I was like, it was so good. So I encourage you to to come. You'll hear more about the workshop Saturday, the 22nd of June uh, from like, I think it's from like 10 to 5 or something like that. All right. <clears throat> so now these callings are different than Holy Spirit because they're given by Christ. They operate generally on a higher level than spiritual gifts, uh, what we see in normal spiritual gifts. Another differentiation between these and the spiritual gifts is that they're given to the church as opposed to spiritual gifts, where it clearly says in Corinthians uh, that the Holy Spirit is given to each member for the equipping uh, for, for their ministry. And so these are given to the church. So it's in, in, the concept is different. Uh, it's important to understand that we can't earn any of these callings, and they cannot be self-appointed. If someone walks into the room and says, I am Apostle Cameron, you know, it pretty much proves I'm not. If I put that on my business card, you know, throw the card away. They have, these, these callings have to be recognized, especially 
by people in church leadership, people that have a responsibility for caring and uh, protecting the sheep, and they don't imply any extra value. Listen, we are all equal in God's eyes. All right? We, we have, all have the same value regardless of our function. Um, and so they, but they do <laughs> require greater sacrifice. Uh, all of uh, the, the first uh, apostles were martyred for their faith, except for John. He got boiled in oil. I mean, I think I'd rather be martyred. <laughs> so it's, these callings are, uh, there is a, a sacrifice. And again, if you weren't here last time, I, when I talked a few weeks ago about them, there's an easy way to remember <clears throat> is, because most people have five fingers on their hand, each hand, right? And you hear missing one? Anybody with an extra one? Okay. Uh, <laughs> apostle, uh, and I'm going to be talking about that <laughs> today. Prophet points things out, points people to God, you know, points the direction. The evangelist, for most people, it's the longest reach on your hand. It's about reaching out. It's also the center of the hand. And so all of the gifts, I think, are to be focused on the purpose of, of reaching the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Um, the the um, pastor, which in almost every culture is where people wear their wedding ring, symbolizes family, and uh, so pastors are all about the family of God and, and people's uh, personal lives. And the teacher the smallest one, not because it's least important, but they're detail-oriented, and they, they can get things, <coughs> you get stuck in your ear, and they can bring correction to that. And so we need all five, and when they work together, they can uh, form a powerful weapon in the hand of God. Bam! To take out the enemy. Glory. All right. Finally, new stuff. <coughs> apostles. So we're going to talk about the apostle today. Uh, and um, the definition is simply one sent forth with orders. Okay, and again, uh, in uh, the culture where this was written, that word was not a foreign word. And, and in fact, apostle is not an English word, it's a Greek word. And so uh, certain words in the Bible, if there wasn't really an English word that worked, they, it's called transliteration, they'll take the Greek word and just put it in the English and then you have to learn what that means. Uh, and the definition of that is one sent forth, commissioned to do something. Someone delegated, but particularly a messenger or an ambassador. But he's representing a higher power and he has orders to accomplish something. And so that's what an apostle is. Now, most words come to English through another language. And one of the primary languages is Latin. And so if you were reading a Latin Bible, how many read Latin? Yeah, my kids do, believe it or not. <laughs> my boys especially, they, they studied Latin in high school. Uh, but the Latin tr Bibles translate this, uh, the Greek apostello, into missio, from which we get the word missionary. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Because they're sent forth. All right? And so in that sense, we still have apostles because whenever a missionary is sent forth, they are, they are fulfilling the ministry of an apostle. The difference is, is that someone can be a teacher and be a missionary. Okay, Their primary gift can be teacher. They could have the apostolic calling of teacher 
and go to another uh, culture and to, to teach and still be a missionary. So it's a difference between a vocation name uh, versus their calling. Just like a pastor of a church can be a teacher or an evangelist or an apostle, but they're still a pastor of a church. Many pastors of local congregations aren't call their calling isn't pastor. Does this make sense, or am I just confusing everything? Okay, good. Mark gets it. <laughs> and so the idea, what is an apostle? It's one sent, just like a missionary is sent. Um, and their goal is to initiate something new. This is the big deal about apostles. They want to do something new. They want to start a new work, a new church, <clears throat> to extend the reach of a ministry or a, 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 a church or a their ministry or the ministry of the church they're in, they tend to be inventors. So just the, the, the character of a an apostol- person who carries the apostolic calling, they're generally creative. They're entrepreneurs. So, so the secular application of this in our culture would be an entrepreneur, someone who just loves to start business. I don't know, do we have any of those here? <laughs> Business owners. I mean, there's so many of you guys are entrepreneurs. You just go make a whole bunch of money. <laughs> you just know how to do that. Uh, they're leaders. They're big thinkers. You know, they're not like, oh, how can we make, how can we make this work? How can we make buy? They're like, how can we change? You know, how can we build a new house? Build a better house. Let's not fix our house. Let's build a new one. And so, big picture people. Um, uh, that is the kind of person an apostle is. But it's particularly, we're using this word in the sense of ministry and church. And so people with big vision and, and the creative solution uh, in the church and in ministry are people who may have that um, uh, apostolic calling. So the reason the thumb represents the apostle is that it's the opposing digit, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this last time that evolutionists say that the reason humans have become uh, the dominant species on planet Earth has nothing to do with our brain or our creativity. It has to do with the fact that we have a thumb. <laughs> and so uh, the thumb, because we can pick up things, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of a silly idea. How can people so smart, uh, you know? <laughs> it's important. But, uh, but the idea is correct. It does give us the ability to do things that other species can't do. We can use tools, and it enables the church to grab hold. All right? And so that is important. We grab hold of what God has for us and, uh, and go after it. It makes us become more. So in that sense, uh, that is accurate in that the apostle is all about a church or minister or an individual becoming more. They're it's great where you are, but hey, let's take it to the next level. And it uh, also provides opposition or counterbalance, uh, counter pressure to the other four callings, which enables us uh, to have a, a balance and uh, a unified purpose. All right. And so if the prophet gets out of line, the apostle can step in and say, you know, let's. Let's, let's be careful here, brother. <laughs> let's bring in the teacher. 
to, to answer that question that you just prophesied about that sounded a little wacky, you know, or it, you know, it, it get, enables each of the other callings to function in it, their proper uh, place and order. So it's a big part of what an apostle is. But God wants us, and the church needs all five working together. That's a big point that we want to make. So if these are all expressions of Jesus, let's look at the person of Jesus. How does he fulfill the role of the apostle? And lo and behold, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, he says, hey, Christians, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is an apostle. And um, uh, as we go through all five of these, you'll see that Jesus is every one of these. He is the ultimate expression of every one of these five callings. And so Jesus is the apostle. Of course, Jesus was sent, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, for God did not send apostolo, he did not apostle his son into the world to condemn the world, but uh, that through him uh, the world might be saved. And so this idea of this apostolic calling is at the core of Jesus's ministry. That makes it pretty big. It's pretty important, right? So Jesus was apostolic, therefore the church must, underline bold, all caps, must be apostolic. And if the church isn't apostolic, then it's not fully representing the Christ. It's like the body of Christ with being lame. There's like a missing limb or something. It's missing the apostolic. And so we need to get healed to fully represent Christ. Apostles are called to function in a way that reproduces this aspect, this grasping, this leading, this ability to go and do more, to be sent, that character of Christ in the church. And apostles, just like each of the other uh, of the APAS callings, accomplish this in the church two ways. They demonstrate what it means to be an apostle. So if you have an apostle, they should be reaching and doing and starting and thinking big and finding solutions. They're just doing it. Just like an evangelist, they should be winning people to the Lord and communicating the gospel of truth. So that's important. But even more important, to, be, to operate in one of these callings, as opposed to just operating in a spiritual gift, is that they need to be equipping the church to do those things, all right? And so an apostle is an apostle if he's just out on his own doing stuff. He's just a, a guy out on his own doing stuff, you know, just living a Christian life, being a good disciple, because we're all called to go, right? Jesus, the, the Great Commission applies to everyone. Go, make disciples. But the apostle specifically not only goes, but gathers the church to go equips the church to go, mobilizes the church to go, communicates to the church, you guys got to (laughs) go! It's his passion, uh, and and it's his purpose. So, were there other apostles in the Bible? Well, golly, sure, we know this. Uh, Luke chapter 6, it says, when it was day, uh, a little bit before that, Jesus uh, 
spent the whole night in prayer. Uh, uh, he was up on a mountain alone, and all night he was, he was communing with his father. And in the morning, when it was day, he called his disciples. So these are callings, and he, he demonstrates this. He called his disciples. So that was a group, uh, generally, uh, when the term disciple is used in the New Testament, it's a group of anywhere from 50 to 100 possibly more, that were his committed followers that were always with him at this time in his ministry. And from that larger group, he chose 12 whom he named apostles. And so here's the first time we see Jesus using that as a title, in a sense, or identifying them. Hey, you guys are going to be called apostles. Uh, And he names them Simon, who he also called Peter, Andrew, his brother, uh, James and John, uh, Philip and Bartholomew, I guess... Jesus must have liked siblings, right? <laughs> Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot. <clears throat> Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Listen, aren't you glad you weren't the other Judas? <laughs> the one who didn't betray Jesus? Because <laughs> the rest of his life, he's like, I'm Judas. Oh, you're the Judas. No, no, I'm not that Judas. Did I tell that last time? I'm sorry. I think it's funny. I feel sorry for the guy. Um, and then we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and many, many places, actually, most of the uh, uh, letters that Paul wrote, he starts out um, introducing himself. Paul called to be an apostle. So it's not wrong, necessarily, for uh, an individual to, in an appropriate way, identify himself as an apostle because Paul was recognized as an apostle by the Twelve and the other church leader, uh, James, the brother of the Lord, who uh, led the church in Jerusalem. But Paul is is clearly uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And so the Twelve were apostles. Paul was an apostle. And some teach that the apostle calling ended or ceased after these initial apostles died. And so I'm just going to talk about this for a little bit, all right? Um, And I would say, first of all, just to be very clear, no apostle afterward, after that initial first century church, would ever be compared to the Twelve and Paul. Um, But Ephesians 4.13 says that all are needed Till we come, all five of the gifts are needed until we come. It actually has a time state, statement on here. When, how long do we need these, these five callings? The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Till we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Till the church is, is fully mature in Christ, representing Christ perfectly. So I would just ask, is the church fully and perfectly, perfectly to the fullest measure, representing Christ. we got a long way to go, don't we? All right, and so because we're not at full maturity, we need all five of the gifts operating. So based on the context of the passage in Ephesians, the purpose and the goal of these callings have not been completed, and so we still need them active. 
All right, now listen, uh, I want to just be real clear for those who may have come out of cessationist tradition or may still be a cessationist in this sense theologically. I have utmost respect for people who have differing opinions of Scripture, but I just want to kind of share, talk about it a little bit so we can have a mutual understanding. And if you disagree with me, that's fine, because I often disagree with myself. <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff, there's tensions in Scripture, and my views change as I dig into Scripture more. But um, the idea that Scripture is complete is a settled question, all right? Absolutely, we absolutely agree that you cannot add or subtract any words from this scripture, it is, it is sealed till the return of Christ. It ain't changing. It, and there is no other objective authority uh, than scripture. No ministry can say they, they are, have more authority than scripture or even that their interpretation of scripture is the most authoritative. They have, you have to bow to this book. Amen? Okay, so that is really important. So scripture is complete. I totally agree with that. Um, but let's talk about this in the context of apostle. Only a few apostles wrote anything, all right? Most of them didn't. And so to think that there are no apostles because the scripture is complete is like, why, why would you make that connection? And in fact, most of the New Testament, almost a third of the New Testament was written by Luke, who wasn't an apostle. And then you have Mark, who wasn't an apostle. All right? So the, book, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke were not written by apostles. They were written by other guys. Okay? And, um, and so the majority of the New Testament was not written by an apostle. All right? And then a lot of the apostles didn't write anything. So that's a disconnect. That's, they're, not, they're apples and oranges there. And there's no place in Scripture that any of these five callings have ceased. And so if you say, oh, this no longer applies, you're not adding to Scripture, you're, you're taking a, a, a Sharpie and crossing out some words in Scripture. And that's really dangerous. Yeah. All right, we don't want to do that. But we want to, we want to understand what the, what the intention was. Um, and so if you remove some of these uh, callings, it misrepresents Christ, and it ends up shaping a church that is missing some of the key attributes of Christ, and what's happened historically is that they've pretty much got, when they got rid of the apostle and the prophet, uh, and then, you know, evangelists, Billy Graham, sure, a few others maybe, <laughs> but there's not much evangelistic. You end up with primarily pastors and teachers. And so you have a church that's real heavy with pastor and teacher influence and real weak in the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic anointing. And if you study church history, that is why the church often is unable to reach the world because they've gotten rid of the apostle and the prophet and, and, and lessened the importance of the evangelist and they're just pastors and teachers. So uh, I could talk about that for hours, <clears throat> but I'm not. All right, Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's whole household. So talking about the church, again, Ephesians describing what the church is. Listen, built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as cornerstone. Hmm. The church is built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets. Now, to understand scripture, and it's a little Bible college lesson here, is that you need to know the original intent of the scripture. Okay? In other words, what did this mean when Paul wrote it, and how did the people who read it when Paul wrote it in that first century understood it? And, and our application and understanding today cannot contradict with that. All right? We can apply it in our culture, but we can't contradict it. Does that make sense? All right, so this is the big deal here. It doesn't say the law and the prophets. If it said the church was built on the foundation of the law and the prophets, it would have meant the Old Testament writings. All right? Common law and the prophets. You can find it in the New Testament. It says the apostles and the prophets. And so that, he's talking about the New Testament apostles and the New Testament prophets. Now, this is the big deal. When he wrote this, those apostles were still alive. And those prophets were still alive. And even more significantly, Paul himself argued with Peter. And they had disagreements. All right? Remember that? Read the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, Paul wrote, that calling is foundational to the church. And it's not the dead apostles that lived 2,000 years ago that were foundational to the church, but the living apostles that sometimes they don't even agree with, but it's still foundational. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know? Wow. <laughs> That's an old saying, right? I, I know <laughs> Don't smoke tobacco. But <laughs> Is there another way to say it? Think about that for a while. Integrate that into your theology. <laughs> and so, listen, if you build a house and then you go in and rip out its foundation, what's going to happen? The house is going to fall down. And so if we remove the ministry of the apostle and the prophet, from the church, you're not going to have a stable church. All right. So, other apostles in the New Testament. Now we're going to get some real fun here. So, Andronicus and Junia is a scripture in Romans 16, verse 7. Paul's writing, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are, who are outstanding among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. So they got saved before Jesus, and Paul calls them in the Bible, God's word, immutable, authoritative scripture, says they were outstanding among the apostles. Now what does this mean? InterVarsity Press, very conservative, uh, evangelical commentary uh, written by people who actually know Greek, <laughs> even better than Mark says that Andronicus and Junia were undoubtedly a husband and wife team. Husband and wife teams were known in some professions like doctors and merchants. The most natural way to read the Greek phrase is that both were apostles. Some modern interpreters have rejected this reading mainly because they presuppose that women could never fill this office. So it's actually a modern problem, problem that have said that women can't function in some of these ministry roles. 
Again, if you have a differing opinion of the role of women in ministry, I 100% respect you because that is always everyone I've met that holds that uh, uh, viewpoint. That's how they read scripture. And I want you to follow scripture the way you are convinced. And, uh, and, but I just need to share some other scriptures that kind of balance out some of those scriptures like in Timothy that seem so clear cut. But if you have two scriptures that seem to contradict each other, you need to dig deeper to find out, okay, what, what is the full, you know, all scripture is given to instruct us. So we need to look at all scripture and weight one scripture more weighty than the other, but weigh them in balance. So here, the Greek specialists say that Andronicus was a husband and Junius, which is a female name in the Greek, were apostles. And that was a modern, and by modern it means over the last several hundred years. Okay? Not, and so there is another mistake where feminism has crept into the church and they get it all wrong. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But uh, can a woman be called an apostle? The Greek scholar says, you, you just can't argue around this. Uh, that that's what that word means. So there's a lot of debate. We respect all opinions, and you don't have to agree with me in this uh, because we really make room. You know, I respect everyone, uh, but that also means you have to respect people when we have women to teach. You know, uh, and I understand that's difficult for some people, but it, there's a reason we actually are doing it because we see this as accurate to Scripture in, in the best way that we can. Now, this is not talking about the role of women and men in marriage and in the home. The husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Okay, that's clear husband, wife, marriage, family, home. That's where some of the other scriptures that get uh, superimposed in the ministry are really talking about relationship within family. <clears throat> and then there's other reasons. I'm not, I'm not, it would take me a whole series to talk about uh, the theology of, of women in ministry. And again, I am not 100% rock solid in my theology. It's like, I'm still, you know, there's tensions to figure out. But here's another idea. Sin came through Adam, right? By one man, it says in Romans. Man, sin entered the world. Now Eve transgressed when she ate of the fruit. The word is different, but Adam sinned. Uh, <clears throat> a different word, when, when, when he ate. And it says that through that act of Adam, sin came into the world, and through sin, death to all men. But salvation was promised through whom? Eve, in Genesis 3.15. Just gotta, we got gotta add that to the mix, okay? <laughs> and in Galatians chapter 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a... So the word of God literally was carried and delivered through a woman. Wow. What's that? That's that's no kidding. And Jesus, after the resurrection, right? He died, crucified, died and buried, rose from the dead. Who did he meet first? Women. Right? And he said, go tell the disciples. And going and telling is the function of an apostle. 
And so you can argue from Scripture that Christ, the first apostles after the resurrection, were women, and Jesus told the women to tell the men. And so you have to take that verse in Jesus' example and then, and then look at the writings in Timothy and go, how does it work together? And, and, I, and again, there's other, other things in Timothy that balance out the cultural uh, situations. And Timothy uh, uh, ministered in Ephesus where there was a, a giant temple to the goddess Diana. And so... It was a very significant, uh, unique cultural uh, thing that uh, those verses, I think, refer to. Nevertheless, Jesus commissioned the women to tell the disciples of his resurrection, and they were the first bearers of the, the message of the, of the resurrection. And in Galatians it says, there is neither, uh, there's no longer uh, racial divisions, Jew and Gentile. There's no longer eco- social economic divisions, slave and free uh, and there is no longer ma- uh, gender divisions, male and female, in the kingdom for you all one in Christ. Now that doesn't mean there isn't a difference between men and women. Thank God there's a difference, right? I, I, I celebrate that. Come on. Right? Thank God there's ethnic differences. I love ethnicity and, 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 and all that brings to humanity. And there just is. There always will be uh, social economic differences. But in the kingdom... Were one, and that's the main point. That apostles, uh, the Bible recognizes the apostles beyond the twelve and beyond. Uh, I think uh, it, they are needed throughout all of church, and they're vital to the church. Okay, <clears throat> real quick. Uh, strengths of the of apostles: they're visionary. I already brought, talked about that. Strong leaders that attract other leader, leaders. Um, they see solutions, not just obstacles. They're innovative. And then they really strive to maintain the DNA of the church and the organization to keep us true to the original purpose. Uh, apostles are willing to take massive risks, but they do have some weaknesses. Sometimes they have a heart, and sometimes they always have a hard time focusing on details. You know, and they, you kind of get bored. Okay, it's, it's good. Let's move on. Uh, tend not to be pastoral. That's why they need the pastor. Um, and uh, to care for the sheep and to do the day-to-day stuff. Uh, always looking for the next big thing, and so because of that, they can sometimes be perceived as uncaring. And um, uh, I think this is a good way to bring it together. So let's just say there's a financial need in the church. The church is struggling. We need more finances. Boy, get the leaders together. Guys, we need to do something. What should we do? So you know what the teacher says? <clears throat> We need to teach them the biblical principles of tithing. Okay? Because if they understand what God's word says, you know, all the problems in the church, the financial problems in the church will be solved. And the pastor says, oh, wait a minute, brother. I know these people. They're, they are, they're in genuine need. How can they tithe? They can't pay their mortgage. We need to care for them. We need to help them get a better jobs. You know what? Their marriages are, are struggling. We need to give more, better pastoral care and bring these, these families in a healthier place. And, and once they do that, then they're going to be in a financial place to give more and, and meet the needs of the church. You know? <clears throat> and then the evangelist said, wait a minute, guys, listen. You need money? Get more people! And the wealth of the Gentiles will come into the kingdom. Right? Simple solution. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I just went into my evangelist. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the prophet says, we need to pray and seek God's will. You know, and the windows of heaven will be opened up when we bow our faces before God and hear his voice. And the apostle comes in and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Teacher, why don't you develop a teaching on this and let's, let's think about a good time to start integrating this into the teaching of the church. And, and pastor, why don't you identify the, the, uh, the families in the church that have, have the need you're just expressing and make sure that they go to that teaching class and, and let's get them some financial help and, and maybe help them find better jobs. <clears throat> and, and evangelists, you're right. We need more people. But listen, we never go after people to get their money, right? <laughs> but if we're a soul-winning church, <laughs> if we're a soul-winning church, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have the blessings of the kingdom and it will attract people that are, are spirit-filled and on, on track with God. And it's absolutely true. If the church is growing, they're not going to have those financial problems. And, and prophet, you're right. Let's, let's get the intercessors uh, to seek God's face and, and bring this together. And if we all work together, and the apostle go, I'll meet with the business leaders in our, uh, in our faith community, and we'll come up with a strategy to overcome this obstacle so that we can all be united and tackle this problem. So good. Boom, was that good? Really good. All right, all right. And I could do that for any situation you want to hear. <laughs> That's the idea. That's how they work together. All right. All Christians, uh, wrapping this up, all Christians are meant to be uh, to go and, and be witnesses, to, to go to new places. Um, but not all people are called apostles. Apostles carry that as their driving passion. And I just want to ask you, this is the application point. Is our church, are you and I, reflecting this aspect of Christ's character? Because it's not about whether you're an apostle or not. It's, what about, it's, it's about are we Christ-like? And Christ was an apostle, so we need to have this operating in us. And are we? And if not, let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's, let's go after it. <clears throat> and then who is the apostle that we can look to as equipping us? Just like we need to identify people that walk in this calling. And we have some uh, that uh, are identified. I relate to people that are apostolic. Uh, and learn from them and get, are shaped by them. You can also read books by great church leaders, and, and, and they can influence you that way. And then how can we increase? Let's prayerfully ask, how can we increase is this character of Christ in us and in our church? Uh, and then how can whatever spiritual gift that you have come into alignment with this primary calling that God has for us as a church. Let's close in prayer.